first Samuel. We actually started uh, a series in here called Glory Culture, and where we want to cultivate a, a culture of his glory, where his glory can manifest and his presence can be here. And um, in 1 Samuel, you see that uh, Eli is a priest, and he was not treating the offerings of the Lord the way he should have. He, he, he was not treating the things of God and the temple of God the way, and his sons as well. And starting in verse 29, the Lord says this, or, or starting in verse 29, it says, Wherefore, kick you at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorous your sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Wherefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said, indeed, that the house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, be it far from me, for them that honor me, I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. He says, those that honor me, I will honor. You know, that should be in every heart of a child of God is to be honored by the Father. Amen? You know, the Lord doesn't make it hard for us to honor him. You know, Jesus said that, come you all that are wearied and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, take my yoke upon you. And he goes on to say that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the Lord is not trying to make it difficult for us to honor him or to, uh, you know, do his work. He's not trying to make it difficult for us. You know, the Lord knows what we're capable of. He knows what we're capable, capable of doing and what we're capable of not doing. You know, you see uh, with the parable of the, the talents, and you see the wicked servant, he didn't do anything with what the Lord gave him. And so he had no excuse because the Lord knows what he was capable of. Just like the other two individuals, they did honor the Lord with what he gave them. They honored him and they treated it with value. They treated it with significance. They didn't treat it lightly. And because of that, the Lord honored them. Amen. And he promoted them. And the Lord wants to do that with us. And he knows what each and every one of us is capable of. And in, with what he gives us, we want to make sure that we honor the Lord with what he gives us. Go to, well, I'm going to, go. you go to uh, Malachi. Go to Malachi. You know, we don't want to believe the lie of the enemy that it's too hard to please the Lord. You know, it, in the New Testament, you see that Jesus went back and forth with the scribes and Pharisees because they were putting burdens on people that were too grievous to bear, that were too hard and that were too difficult. And the Bible calls them precepts of men, that they were just men's traditions. And the Bible says that Jesus said that you've made the word of God a none effect by your traditions. So we can come up with things and even our own thoughts and even the enemy try to overwhelm us and overburden us with things that God did not put on us and tell us to do. Because the thing that the Lord gives us to do, it should be light 
and it should be uh, it should be a heavy burden. That doesn't mean you won't have to work and that you won't have to use your faith because you will. But it's not going to, you know, boggle you down. It's not going to cause you to feel like you can't measure up or do anything. Well, no, I want to hear well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's who gets promoted as faithful servants. Amen. Jesus said in, uh, I'm sorry, not Jesus, but in, you guys are in Malachi. I'm going to read Romans 13 while you guys are in Malachi. Just listen. Romans 13, 7. It says, render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. What about the Father God? Does, is any honor due him? Is any reverence due him? It is, and you know, that's the reason why we actually worship the Lord. You know, the Bible says, ascribe to the Lord or give to the Lord the glory due him. The glory do his name. That's why we worship the Lord. I was talking to a friend recently about this is that, you know, we were talking about how great it is to get in the presence of the Lord. And, and it, it's great when you're by yourself, you're alone and you're, you know, tears come because the Lord's presence is overwhelming you. But that even though we enjoy that and we want that, we do want that. We, it's great to be in the presence of the Lord. That is not our main motive for worshiping and praising the Lord. And we must not try to manufacture that same, you know, uh, situation or presence that we had before. You know, we don't put on the same song and the same, you remember, oh yeah, I remember in that verse, I teared up and the presence of God hit me and I'm so going to do it again. You try real hard. No, we must not try to manufacture the presence of God. We must not try to come up and, and try real hard for a feeling. That's not faith. God requires our faith. He requires us to worship him when we feel nothing because it's due him. It is due him. The praise and honor and glory is due him. And when, he, when we do it that way, when we're doing it because, no, I want to because it is due him and he deserves the glory and he does deserve the honor. And we do it by faith, whether we feel nothing at all then his presence does come and it will change us. And sometimes it may not be in that moment, in that situation, but you know that the Bible says that he is a rewarder of our faith. Amen. Amen. In Malachi chapter one, in verse six, it says, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priest who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. But when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? You know, this is representative of our culture today, that we've fallen so far from respect and honor for the things of God that we don't even recognize it 
when we are doing it. I mean, they were saying, how have we dishonored you? How have we disrespected you? And, you know, we said this in previous weeks that just because you are not doing something purposely or unknowingly does not mean that you are not dishonoring the Lord. It's the things that you don't know that you're doing are the things that you have to adjust, the things that the Lord shows you. I was, uh, Clarice and I were at a um, evangelistic meeting and there was an altar call given. And during an altar call, we should reverence what the Holy Spirit is trying to do, is in doing in people's lives. He's working in their hearts. He's endeavoring to, uh, you know, work in them to respond to the message of salvation. And people's lives could, they're in a balance. You know, people could leave that place and die the next day, or we, we don't know. I mean, it's not guaranteed that they're going to live, you know, beyond that meeting or that moment. And we saw some individuals, and we, we heard them first, chuckling and laughing and things like that. And I look back, and these are people that we know should know this is the time to reverence what the Holy Spirit is doing. I'm not talking about little kids. I expect little kids to do that. They don't, they don't know any better. I expect even, in, you know, I understand little kids are in here or wherever. They, you know, I, I have grace for that type of thing, and we, we should. But when there's adults and they're just laughing and cutting up and you know that they know better, that's dishonor. Now, I think we don't give them the side eye and look at them, say, what are you doing? You know, get out of here. I don't do that either. You know, gracious, you know, but we just need to know that we could be doing things that are disruptive. I mean, if the Lord is dealing with someone and their heart is sensing, I need to get my life right. And they're looking around because, you know, they're probably embarrassed. They look around and they see these people over here laughing and, and joking around. What are they going to think? Well, it must not be that important. These people that... You know, they're wearing a volunteer badge. They're laughing. They're, they're joking around. See, it's the things that we don't know that we're doing that could be disrespectful to the Lord and to his things. Amen. But he said, if I am a father, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? Now, it would be great if the Lord didn't have to say that today. If he could say, man, you guys are honoring this generation, this culture is honoring me just like it should. And I'm, I can you know, manifest my presence and my honor to everyone here like it should because I'm being honored. But I would have to say that that's not the case. In fact, I believe and know that there is an attack on fatherhood. There's an attack on fatherhood. And the fatherhood of God, and it manifests itself and, and shows itself in the form of attacking fathers on the earth. I mean, he attacks the family unit in general, mother and father, but specifically, it's Father's Day. I'm talking about the fathers. And there's been an attack on fathers for quite a bit, where the father is just treated as unimportant, insignificant, you know, when, you, when things happen in our culture and society, you know, there's a, a mass shooting or something like that at a school or a mall. The first thing you hear on the news, the media, the social media, celebrities, politicians, they're tweeting or posting gun control or, you know, mental health and, and enough is enough. And they're saying everything else, but no one is saying, man, 
Where is his father? Where are the fathers at? Where are the good fathers that could be a role model? And that's not to say that every single thing a child does is blame, blame it on their father. But a father has a huge impact, <laughs> a very important impact. And you don't hear Hollywood and celebrities and politicians saying, where are the fathers at? We need to get fathers in the home. We need to start, you know, going on marches for the fathers and start advocating for the father to be back in the home. We don't hear that. And so this lack of respect and dishonor, you see it in by what is not emphasized, by what is not talked about. Just the fact that people are not talking about it, just the, just the fact that only a small minority of people bring this up shows that our culture has go, gone so far from what honoring the father and honoring fatherhood should be about. I mean, you see in movies and, and sitcoms, I mean, the father is just treated like he's insignificant and the unimportant you know, member of the parent duel you know, even in cartoon movies, fathers are disrespected. The wife will yell at the father in front of the kids and call them names and idiots and things like that. I'm sorry if there's kids who are trying to watch it. But the thing is, is that it, the father is just disrespected in our culture. Now, it's no use in getting mad at people. They don't see it. The enemy's behind it. You know, the, the enemy is behind this. But we cannot allow ourselves to get to the place where we don't hold up and esteem and value fatherhood. Amen. Uh, go with me to Genesis one, please. Now, I know that there's been fathers that have abused their authority and there's been men that have abused their authority. But just because some men have done that and abused their authority and use fear and use force, and use coercion. That doesn't mean all men and all fathers have done that. Because there's a big push right now to label the father and the male as the oppressor. Yeah. That all the problems come from the male, the father, the oppressor, ultimately the father God. There's a big push for that right now. And like I said, yeah, there has been people that have done things that are wrong. And some in the name of God, you know, fathers and men. But just because some people have done some things ignorantly, and the Bible deals with this. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It says, you know, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. And it talks about leaders, don't use force and cruelty. And so these are things that we do need to be aware of. But that doesn't mean that we just blanketly label fatherhood as oppressive and males as oppressive. I mean, that would be like saying a woman who solicits herself on the corner that because there's hundreds that do that or thousands that all women are like that. No, that's not, that's foolish. That's not even, doesn't even make any sense. Genesis chapter one, this is the creation account and creation of man, just a portion of it. I want to start in verse 26. Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God created he him male and female created he them and God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful multiply replenish the earth and subdue it 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Now, out of all of God's creation, male and female were the only ones that God said, uh, he told all, he told, you know, the, the, the creatures in the sea to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, but out of all the creation that he made, man, male and female, were the only ones that bore his image, that were created in his likeness and in his image. And who does the enemy or who does the serpent come to immediately deceive? He didn't come to deceive the elephants, right, the lions, you know, the whales or anything like that. He immediately comes to trick and deceive those that bear the image of God, those that have the Imago Dei, the, the image of God, those that bear his image, those that are to represent him. And why? He is afraid of the image of God. And we know, yes, they, Adam and Eve sinned. And when they sinned, they separated themselves from God and they were no longer, because when they were created, they were created just in the image of God, an exact image of the, of the Father God. They were fully pretty close to the Father God. And so when they sinned, they are no longer, they're still creating the image of God, but they are no longer an exact image of the Father God. They're no longer fully in the image of God. And it wasn't until Jesus came that we have somebody that is the exact representation of the Father God. Colossians says in 1.15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And then in Romans, it says in the, uh, God's word translation, his son is the reflection of God's glory and the exact likeness of God's being. And I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but the Bible says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that we are conformed, that we might be the, the firstborn of many brethren and sisters, that that is what we're headed towards, to look exactly like Jesus. We are headed to be that way. Amen? You know, so Jesus is the exact expression, the image of their father. And Jesus himself said, you know, he was always given the father glory, right? He was always given the credit. And Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself, but what I see the Father do. You know, he said, what I say is not from myself, but from the Father God. So he could only do and see what he saw the Father do. Well, if Jesus needed to see something from the Father, we're not any different. I mean, we're not at a higher plateau. The, the Bible says that the servant is not above his master, nor the student above his teacher. If Jesus needed to see the Father, if he needed to be able to see something in order to be something, so do we. Amen? The Bible says this, and you see this throughout the Word of God. I'll just read it, 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we are with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We look in at the Lord, at his word, at him, like in a mirror. We are being changed 
into what we see. You see this principle in the word of God throughout that what you see is what you can be. What you see is what you become. And so we're not able to be something unless we first can see something. We're not able to be, whether, that's nat- whether you see it in the natural or whether you see it inside. I mean, you think about the examples before us. Without an example, without a father, a natural father, without spiritual fathers, without people before us setting an example of them overcoming, of them you know, getting the victory in a situation, we might not know how to do it if we didn't see someone else doing it. If we didn't see someone else overcome, we may not know that we can overcome, that we can do it, because we haven't seen the image. We haven't seen a picture of somebody else doing it. Now, we know that God can still do things. I mean, I think of the life of Brother Kenneth Hagin. He never heard of anybody being healed or, you know, uh, of anybody being healed of a disease, terminal. But he saw it inside because the Lord showed him to it. But thank God for people like that, that we can see that example. And we can see that image and we can say, I can do that if they did it. Hey, I know where they come from. I know what what their background is. If they can do it, I can do it by the grace of God. You know, we need examples before us and we need to make sure that we are being an example to the people under us. You know, I think about youth a lot of times and in ministry, because these are things you you would think about now, I guess, but in ministry and youth ministry in particular, you see that a lot of churches, they want to hire someone that is young and is trendy and hip and cool to minister to the youth. But youth and young people don't need to see where they're already at. They don't need to see somebody they're already that, you know, the way they're already acting. They need to see where they're headed towards. They need to see where they're going, not where they're already at. And it's important that we have those images before us. Amen? Amen. You know, but that doesn't change just because we become adults. We still need to see people overcoming. We still need to see others, you know, that are doing things that the Bible says we can have and do. Amen? Amen? We still need that. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I know I'm having you turn into a few scriptures, but that's okay. (laughs) So we want those examples, but there are also people looking at us as those examples. 1 Corinthians 4. My plan was to uh, get everybody out of here a little earlier today so you can spend time with the family. It's Father's Day. But I've said that every week almost. And uh, it's getting better, though, right, guys? It's getting better. One time we went way over, but <laughs> we only have a certain time we can be in here. So, <laughs> First Corinthians 4, um, and I'm going to start in verse 15. Paul's saying to the Corinthian church, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have yet not many fathers, For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be you followers of me. Now, you see this word begotten in the scriptures or begat, you know, so-and-so begat so-and-so 
or, you know, Jesus, the only begotten son of the father. And so you see this a, a lot of times in the Bible. And the majority of the time that you see this word be, begat or begotten, the majority of the time it's talking about fathers, you know, the male father. There's, you know, women can beget too, but the majority of the time in the word of God, it's talking about the fathers. And that word begat or begotten means to gender, to bring forth, to bear. And the way you see it used is, uh, and you can look this up in the Strongs and Vines and different things, it means to cause one to arise. Cause one to arise or bringing one over to a certain way of life. So when you see that begat or begotten, that's what that's talking about. And you see Paul here, he's saying, I have begotten you through the gospel. We know he didn't give them physical birth. So what's he talking about? He caused them to arise and he brought them over to a certain way of life. And now they're all arguing and disputing because Paul, if you see in the book of Acts, he stayed with this church for about a year and a half and preached the word among them. And now they're, they're, they're fighting who's, you know, who's teaching they're under, who's their teacher. And he's saying, you have many teachers, but not many fathers. I'm the one who's begotten you. And he's saying, follow me. Yeah. Now, we know in previous or, or later chapters, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. So he's not just saying, follow me as a man, but follow my way as I follow the Lord. And so God has entrusted to every father, earthly father, the responsibility and the honor to represent the revelation of the Father God. I'll say that again. God the Father has given all fathers the responsibility and the honor to represent the revelation of the Father God. You know, the devil hates the Father God, and he doesn't want those specifically called to represent the Father God to begat more sons and daughters that look like him, that look like the Father. That's why he attacks fatherhood so much from the beginning of time. He's attacked people that, and this goes for all of us, really. We all bear the image of God. We all are image bearers. And he attacks, especially he's attacked fatherhood, those that are specifically designed to bring people to a way of life, to cause people to arise to a certain level in their lives. That so people, when they see them, they don't just see them, they see the Father God. They see an attribute and they see something of the Father God. Go with me to John 8. This is why he's working hard to pervert and to distort what a father is, what the image of a father is. This is why he's working hard to even distort what gender is right now. Because if you don't, you know, you need to understand as a man what a man's supposed to look like, how he's supposed to walk, how he's supposed to act and talk. There are certain things men are not supposed to look like. They're not supposed to wear. They're not supposed to walk a certain way. They're not supposed to flail their hands a certain way. They're supposed to do a, uh, they're supposed to act a certain way. And we get that from the Father God. We get that from Jesus. And we get that, though, from seeing our earthly fathers, who are a representation of our Father, the Father God. 
Because what we see, we will do. John 8, did I say John 8? Jesus says in verse 38, yeah, we'll go to verse 38. I speak that which I have seen with my father. Notice what he's seen with his father. And you do that which you have seen with your father. Now he's talking to the scribes, he's talking to the Pharisees. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. And then they said to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word, you are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. Notice that. You'll do what you see your father do. <laughs> he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, Jesus is not saying that these Pharisees were physically begotten by the devil. He's not saying that they, the devil physically birthed them, but yet they're definitely not begotten of the Father God. And he's making it clear that, no, you are of your Father. To, you know, Jesus confronted culture. He confronted the Pharisees. You know, we need to distinguish because when you talk about stuff that's controversial, people say, oh, that's not love. You should stay away from that stuff. I've had people tell me, hey, man, just preach the gospel. Just stay away from that other stuff. Well, what are you talking about? Like, we live in this real world. We have to deal with things. And how do we deal with it with what the scripture says? But we also need to know how Jesus treated people or how he dealt with people. When people were hurting, like the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, or the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. He treated them with love and compassion and grace. They were lost. They were confused. They were hurt. And we should do the same thing. But the Pharisees, if you see in other chapters, especially I think Matthew 23 is a chapter where the whole chapter, Jesus is calling them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He called them, he said that you are leading people uh, to become more children of hell, more than you already are. And he said, you are snakes. He called them vipers. He called them hypocrites. Why? Because he said they were blind guides. They were leading a people away from the truth, leading people away from him. So you don't deal with people the same that are leading, purposely leading people. And some of these Pharisees saw that he was the Messiah. They saw some truth, but they wanted to praise on themselves. They didn't want people going towards his way. And so he dealt with those people very differently than he did the lost and the hurting and the people that were searching for answers. And there are modern day Pharisees today. There are modern day people that think they have the moral high ground. You see this in cancel culture. They think they have the moral high ground. 
It's one thing to be accountable, right? We believe in accountability, that we should hold ourselves, first of all, accountable for how we act and the things that we do. But some people are just taking the moral high ground and, or, or as they have the moral high ground on every situation, and they do no wrong. These are modern-day Pharisees, and they're leading people away from Jesus. And these people are not to be, you know, the, the people say, oh, love the sinner, uh, hate the sin. Yes, but that doesn't mean we don't address it and we don't confront it. These are people purposely leading people away, causing harm to families, causing harm to children. We, we must not be afraid and we must not be ashamed to speak the word of God and to speak the truth. And if need be, confront them and say, no, you're a hypocrite and you're a child of the devil. That's what Jesus did. You don't hear that too much today, but it's the, still the truth. But notice that these were children. He called them children of the devil. So we know that they're not physically children of the devil. But think about this. These children of the devil, <laughs> these Pharisees, were creating other people after their similitude and likeness, or after the similitude and likeness of the devil. If you're a child of the devil and you're leading people that way, what way are you leading them to become more like? Children of the devil, a child of the devil, <laughs> a one that bears the image of Satan, if you will. So we need to not be afraid to you know, know these things and to have courage. Like I said, Martin Luther said the, the gospel that doesn't deal with the issues of today is no gospel at all. And when I think of someone that bears the image of the father, last time we met, we talked about David and he was a man after the heart of God. And the way I like to say it, he was after the core of God. He was after who God is. You know, that resonates with me more. He was after who his being is, who God is, the, the very core of what makes God God. David was after that, the Bible says, or God said it about David. He said that he found a man that was after his own heart, after who he is. And David was no weakling, right? He was no wimp. And when I think of all the men in the Bible, that there's many men. Jesus was a man of courage. Paul, the, the apostles, to go through what they went through and to preach the gospel. When you see them getting persecuted and stoned and get right back up and go right back into the city and continue to preach the gospel. We need that today. Men, the Bible says in Acts 15, 26, men that have hazarded their lives for the gospel, for Jesus Christ. Men willing to risk their lives to say, you know what, I'm going to preach the gospel and preach what God gives me to preach. And if it means that I might die, well, hey, I'll be in heaven. Somebody else will carry the work. Amen. We need people like that that are not afraid. Paul said, hey, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go be with the Lord. I'm ready to die here at Jerusalem if need be. But go to 2 Samuel. I want to read a little bit about David. 2 Samuel, and this is who I think of a lot when I think of courage. And this is the account, uh, 2 Samuel 23, I'm sorry, did I say that? Let's 
2 Samuel 23. Uh, this is the account of the feats of David's mighty men. And the reason why I want to read this, so we're going to read a little bit here, but the reason why I want to read this is if you look at previous passages, these men did not start off so mighty. They did not start off what we're going to see in here. They did not start off so, you know, doing these mighty works. The Bible says they were actually discontent when when they came to David. They were distressed, they were in despair, and they were afraid, if you see in other chapters. In 2 Samuel 23, starting in verse 8, it says, These be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tichmanite that sat in the seat chief among the captains. The same was the Dino, the Yeznite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. He slew 800 men, one man at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were there, gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave unto the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. Go to verse 11. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Ahurite, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop, There was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great victory. Now, this is one man. And he didn't didn't say he slew the Philistine. He slew Philistines. These are David's mighty men. And David was then in a hold, and the garrison of the, uh, this is verse 14, of the uh, Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And three mighty men broke through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. Man, these three mighty men broke through enemy camp just to get David this water that he was thinking about. That's honor. But think of the courage and the strength and the, I mean, what it takes to do something like that. That's the honor of God. That's the courage of God coming into them. And it came from David. It says in uh, verse 18, And Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief among three. And he lifted up his spear against 300 and slew them and had the name among three. In verse 20, you go down there and it says, And Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kebzel, who done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in the time of snow. And he slew an Egyptian, a godly man, and the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. And he went down to him with a staff. He went down with a staff and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand. 
and slew him with his own spear. The reason why I read this is because David, a man after God's own heart, he was a man of courage. Where did he get that from? We know that he was after God's own heart. So we can easily come to the conclusion that he got it from God because we know his brothers weren't courageous. When the giant came, they were sitting back in the camp with everybody else, scared and afraid. But David, spending time with God out in the pasture, going after the heart of God, became a man of strength, became a man of courage. After seeing God, after spending time with him, he got glimpses of God and the courage of God, and that came into him. And then men that were joined to him that were distressed, that were afraid. All of a sudden, you see them and we read about them doing mighty acts, doing things that they probably never thought that they would be doing. It's important that we bear the image of God, that we know who we represent. Because what we see, people will do. And what others under us that are begotten of us, that have been begat by us, if you will, what they see us doing, they'll do. What they see us overcoming and what they see us conquering by the grace of God, they'll be able to do. We have an awesome responsibility to bear the image of the Father God. You know, this is becoming more, as I meditate on this and I think about this, I think, wow, uh, it it can, if you let it, it can almost be overwhelming in in a sense that, man, I have a responsibility to bear the image of the Father. But we don't need to be overwhelmed, like we were saying before, that the Lord is not gonna honor us with something that we're not capable of doing. He knows that we're capable of doing it. Now, it's not us doing it in our own strength. We know that it's because we have his righteousness and we know that he's working in us to will and to do the things that please him. But I know that the Lord wants to emphasize today that we have an amazing privilege and honor to bear his image, that when we walk in here and out these doors and in everyday life that we need to have a more uh, consciousness of I'm an image bearer of the Father God. I bear his image. Where I go, he goes. And what I do, people see the Father in me. It's not so, it's not so that people look at us. It's so that people, when they see us and they see what we do and they see how we act and they see what the Lord is doing for us, that they see the Father God. Amen? Amen. The Bible says this in Colossians 3.10. It says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So how do we become more like the one who created us? It's after the knowledge of him, renewing our minds after the knowledge of the one that created us. It is beholding as in a mirror, beholding the word of God, looking at the word of God, looking at the Father, looking at Jesus and what he did. And when we are constantly beholding that and seeing that, we are becoming more like the image bearers that we are. 
We are becoming uh, closer to what Jesus already looks like. And that is what we're heading towards. We're heading towards more like Jesus. But the more we look like him, it makes our father look good. Amen. It makes the father look good. And the more people see how good the father is, the more people want to bear this image. So we have an awesome responsibility and an awesome privilege. And it is an awesome thing to bear the image of the father. And so we want to honor father, the father, God, and be mindful that we all have an attribute of the father, God to bear, to go out and to represent him. I'll end with this scripture, if you wouldn't mind standing. It says this here. And remember, I said that the father, uh, the word begat means to cause one to arise. So when you think that, walk around, you're conscious. I am causing other people to arise. I'm causing other people to come up. Amen? Amen. It says this in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's his mercy that he has begotten us. It's by his mercy. So if it's his mercy that he's begotten us, then we can appeal to that mercy all the time and say, Lord, I, I need your mercy to be a perfect and a good representation of your image here on the earth. I need your grace. I require it. And he's given it to us. Amen. We hope this message has encouraged you today. For more information on our ministry or to donate, visit onewayministries.net.